It's about finding people who have been through things, overcome things, figured out something I haven't figured out and getting wisdom from their experiences. And what I really love about finding those stories and getting people to tell them to me is that I control the narrative. I control the edit. I control the questions that are asked. And I really like to connect with people on a human level, on a real level, on a level where you can learn something from someone. I think that I do my podcast for that. It's almost like my therapy. Hey everyone, this is Helene from Coming From The Heart Podcast, an inspirational and motivational podcast about mental health, mindfulness, speaking your truth, and never feeling alone. Going out with friends should be really, really fun. You don't want to worry about drink spiking or roofing. That is why I have partnered with Nightcap, as seen on ABC's Shark Tank. They are the drink spiking solution and their innovative products slip over the cupboard bottle. And voila, they got you covered. Please use promo code CFTH for 20% off your purchase. I was listening to Beyonce trying to get into the groove here, girlfriend. How you doing? You were? I love Beyonce. Oh my God, I saw her this summer and life-changing. Like, That's so cool. I'm a Virgo. When's your birthday? I am a Libra. My birthday is in October. Oh, oh, okay. October almost. What's yes. what, which birthday? October what? October 8th. Well, happy almost birthday. Thank anyway. you. You know, when you get to be my age that you're not as excited about them. <laughs> Stop it. How old are you? I'll be 44. Oh my God. You're like a baby. You're a baby. I mean, oh, I, just, I just turned 58. Wow. And you look great. Thank you. And no one ever knows how old I am. Like, I mean, you know what? I learned when my mother passed away, that's a whole other conversation of a podcast that own it. You know what I mean? My mom died at 78 and she died 10 years ago. And she went through a lot of stuff. My dad was sick the year before, a lot of, and uh, you know what? She was always fixing and nipping and tucking. I'm not doing any of that. I'm just like, I eat well, I take care of my body. And that's it. Drink lots of water. I don't drink alcohol anymore because I went through vertigo about three years ago. Just fucking own it. And just I, be, I love that. Just be happy where you are. Be happy you're alive. Mm. That's it. I mean, what else do you have to like think about? You know what I mean? I think we're also caught up in the nipping and the tucking. And I mean, look, we're going to get into all your incredible shit. You kill it with so much stuff. And I'm a huge fan of yours. I just am. I really, from my heart, you're like amazing. I really, I love the stuff that you put out. You're a story chaser. We're going to talk a lot about that. I'm a story chaser. I taught grad school. I've had a huge background design and all kinds of stuff when I was up and coming in my career. And now I've landed in the podcast world talking to cool people like you. And yeah, I just think we evolve and we grow. Because sometimes I, you know, we get into the pod and you get in your head, you're, you're doing your groove as in Virgo's groove. You're doing your groove and it's like, I hit the wall a lot in my own mental health stuff. Like, that's why I have a mental health podcast. Like, you know, I go through my own shit. And, you know, what you put yourself out there to be so (laughs) is not the day to day, you know. But thank you for being here. I love, love that you speak to your dad. That was, (laughs) 
I love that. Yeah, I think it's so important when you see other content creators putting stuff out there that you resonate with to give them some love. Like that is definitely a strategy of mine because I can really relate to putting a lot of work and energy and love into what I do. And when you don't get that feedback, it can be exhausting. So I really try to build my community around the people that are putting out messages that I love. I'm happy to share them. Like I encourage people to tag me in what they think I would resonate with. I am definitely of the school of thought that even if I see a quote that reminds me of an episode that I listened to, I tag that person and like try to give them something else to let them know I'm there. I love it. So guys, I have Rena Friedman Watts sitting Zoom-like next to me. She is so cool. I've just been having this incredible conversation about life and her claim to fame. I wouldn't even say it's claim to fame, but people definitely know you from Jerry Springer show. You kick doors down. You have a community that's incredible. You are an on-air host of Better Call Daddy podcast with your dad. And what strikes me the most about wanting to speak to you is your sincerity, your kindness, and what you do to others when you share stories. You are a story sharer, or I say a story chaser, very much like I am. And I just, I love you and I'm happy you're here. So hi, Rena, how you doing? Aw, that is such a kind and sweet intro. Thank you. I am excited to have this conversation with you today. I need um, a little heart button. <laughs> okay, well, heart. All right, let's just get into it, dive into it. Rena. what brought you to the world that you live in right now? You are a podcaster with your dad. Now, not everybody can say that. I started my podcasting with my daughter three years ago. But again, having a podcast with your dad, and what I love so much about that connection is the wisdom that your dad brings to you, to your listeners, and to the people that come on and share stories. Because I often will say, we don't look to our elders in our Western culture. I don't believe that we have that connection like many other cultures that I'm familiar with that I taught when I was teaching international students, that we don't really listen to what people who are older than us have to say, and we should. So you take it away, Rena. Give me some thoughts, and I'm excited as hell to have you. Okay. It's funny because you say what brought you to where we are right now. I'm like, my parents, they brought me here. That was my (laughs) first thing that I was going to say. And it's funny because, yeah, you know, I would not be here without them. And it's, it's complicated, right? Like to have good relationships with our family definitely takes reflection and work. And I think one Part of why I wanted to do my podcast with my dad was because in order for me to fully put myself out there and stand on the stage, I've always needed someone to hold my hand. I even think about in college when I got this singing scholarship and, you know, worked so hard for it. I didn't love the stage. So one time I was asked to sing the Star Spangled Banner at a basketball game, and I made my little sister stand up there with me. And so starting this podcast with my dad was like a way in which I could feel comfortable on that mic and really put myself out there because you're yourself around your family. I have my kids involved in the show. I have my dad involved in the show because he sees me through non-judgmental eyes. What's interesting is some of the stories that have come our way that have been completely unexpected. Like 
we've now talked about abortion and we've talked about sperm donation and we've talked about arranged marriage and all of these different topics that have come our way, but we can do it in an intergenerational way, which I find to be really interesting. I agree. Everything you said. Absolutely. Support. And I had the support of my daughter. When I decided to sit down June 10th, 2020, I literally looked over. I was sitting in my kitchen, which is where everything happens. That's the magic. The kitchen is the magic. And I go, hey, you want to do this with me? The pandemic was insane. And she was like, okay. And that was it. We did it for a little, little bit together. And then she morphed and grew and did some other stuff. And I more or less took it over. But I get it because it is scary to just go out often. And you know, we can get into that a little bit with people's mental health, just to go out and just be alone, supposedly to do your own thing. But I think what happens as you share the platform with your dad, you've grown into your own voice. hundred percent. Yes. And he looks forward to it now, which is so cute. He reaches out to me and he's like, Hey, do you have one for me to do a reaction to? Or, Hey, who's the guest this week? It's become something special that we do together. And I love that. I feel like it keeps him fresh. And I was just even talking to my son about it this morning. He was like, I think everybody could benefit from reflecting and you get to reflect with your guests and you get to learn from their lessons learned and you get to learn from your guests wisdom as well. So as much as I wanted to share my dad's wisdom with the world, every guest that comes on our show is also sharing their wisdom with us. And that is honestly a realization that I had. No, absolutely. So tell us the backstory here. Okay. Podcasting, connection with your dad. First of all, let's get to your dad's participation in the podcast. So you record, he hops on as you're recording with the guests. How does all that work? Actually, I tried that in the beginning where I thought it would be good to have him on, but what worked better was because I have the fascination with the guest and the story and the marketing aspect. So I find the stories, I interview the guest, cut it down to what it's going to be edited to. And then I share that segment with him and we react to it after that. So he listens to it separately. And then we hop on a Zoom, having never talked about the guest until that moment. And then we reflect. A lot of times the guest will ask my dad a question. So he'll answer their question. He'll reflect on their story. And then from what my dad says, I formulate the intro because I want to include his perspective. Absolutely. And how I introduce the guest. Yeah, I was listening to some of your stuff. So I figured that was kind of how you, you know, you got into it. What is your guest reaction to, I mean, clearly they know they're going on a podcast where your dad is going to hop on. What do they say to you initially about his reaction to what you guys are saying? I just was curious about that. It's been a mixed bag. I will say probably 90% of them consider it to be a gift and they really like what my dad has to say. But with some of the more controversial topics that I have covered, sometimes my dad is from a different generation and he might not 100% agree with their lifestyle or what they've said. And sometimes he's called bullshit. And <laughs> sorry, sometimes he has not agreed with choices that they've made or how they're saying it. And I think it's okay for him to not see eye to eye all the time as long as he says it in a kind way. I get it. Yeah, no, I totally get it. Did he have background in this space other than, of course, being your dad and giving you great wisdom growing up? Was he the go-to person 
not just you, but in your family, with your friends. I want to talk about your, your younger life, growing up and stuff like that. Was he the one that's like, oh, go to dad. He'll give you what you need. That's <laughs> funny because all of my friends like thought my dad was cool growing up because he's such a character. He's always kind of like wanted his own show. So I was like, well, I can help him do that. Like with my production background. But was he trained like media training zero? He, I feel like has evolved as a podcaster, even in the beginning, he didn't even use a mic. He just used like those Apple earbuds with the mic. And I'm like, dad, you really got to get a mic. I think he didn't even get one until like 250 episodes or something. I'm like, dad, it's getting bad. Like I can't take me sounding like I'm in a radio booth and you sounding like you're dialing in. I love it. And he's authentic and you're authentic. And I want to get into that's why people like you and they like your dad because they see the realness. There's so much bullshit out there, Rena. Yes. Let's talk on that for a little bit. Like you, when I hear you, I see you, you put stuff out there. People connect you because they like to hear what you say because they know you're not a bullshitter. Yeah. And you know, what's funny. I, even when I'm talking to people who want to start a podcast, I say to them, who are your biggest cheerleaders? Who are the people that you feel the most comfortable around? You should start with them. If you're a marathon runner, is there somebody that you run marathons with? If you went to college, do you have a college best friend that has seen you th through some crazy parties? Start with somebody who is going to be forgiving. If you don't have a mic, if you hiccup, if you need to edit half of what they say out, you should start with people who just want to have fun with you and really see you in the best light. And I even think as far as when you're feeling down mental health wise, you need that kind of encouragement. If you have something exciting happening in your life, you want to call the person that like you did crazy things that you wouldn't have expected you could do with that person. No, absolutely. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So as a kid, what were you like? You talked about production. You talked about, you know, moving around all these places. Has that benefited you in your career right now that you had that type of a life? And why did you have that life? Why did your family move around so much if you'd like to share that? Yeah, that's such a great question. I actually was born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky and did no moving around until college. So my room in Kentucky still looks the same as when I lived there, <laughs> which there's some comfort and beauty to that. But I wanted to kind of break free of that mold. I wanted to be independent. I wanted to be able to stand on my own two feet. My mom has lived in Kentucky her whole life. And I feel like she's very comfortable with that pace, but I wanted more. I really wanted to live in a big city and be able to pay my own rent and make my own way. And so that's even part of why I transferred in college from one smaller school to a bigger school is that I went to a very challenging youth performing arts school for four years for high school, which I didn't initially get into and had to re-audition. And from that rigorous program and not quitting that high school for four years, I got a singing scholarship to my first college. Now, when I went to this first college, I was partying like most people do, and I was still able to get a 4.0, which I'm like, something's wrong with this equation. <laughs> So I met a guy that told me, hey, if you really want to do this sports medicine program that you're in, because I was a double major with sports med, because I just wanted to be in shape and hang out with athletes, to be honest. <laughs> 
I was a double major in vocal music and sports med. And I met somebody at Purdue that was in the sports med department there. And he was like, you should go to a Big Ten school where you're actually going to work with D1 teams. And so I transferred to Purdue. But had I not done so well at that smaller school where you get a lot of personalized attention and you're kind of a big fish in a small pond, I never would have had the confidence to apply to Purdue. And I probably, to be honest, wouldn't have gotten into Purdue on my first try. <laughs> Just wow. like the high school, I wasn't super focused in high school to get those good grades and do all the extracurriculars and check all of the boxes. My parents just encouraged me to live my dreams and to take a bunch of things that I was interested in. And I was never really so focused on where I wanted to be in the future. Although I did want to work in entertainment. I knew that ah. my grandparents really had a love of the arts. My, my dad, and so I transferred to Purdue. I got a job at a radio station on campus, which is so full circle now. And when I worked at that radio station pre-automation, I fell in love with the medium of being in the booth and running the station manually. I also interned at a local news station where I ran the audio board and got to participate in local commercials, which I thought was fun. I loved the whole starting from an idea and seeing it come into fruition, that is kind of where my story junkie started, was working at the radio station and taking these stories that came over the newswire, getting to edit them and make them sound more like you, and also working on these local commercials, which started off as just ideas and then getting to turn them into an actual production and see them on air. That was really fun and cool for me. And that led me to interviewing at WGN in Chicago. And again, I did not get that job. But I, while I was up there on that interview, I saw that Jerry Springer was looking for interns in the same courtyard. So yeah. I took that flyer, called the number on the flyer and ended up starting there two weeks later. And that changed everything for me. What a cool, cool journey. Trajectory. <laughs> Let's get to high school. So in high school, you were in the performing arts space. I too was in that as well. I actually sang my whole life, forever, yes. All different types of genre, through high school, college, not as professional. After college, I did a little bit of Juilliard. And actually, when I was teaching international grads, I sang a lot in a lot of my productions. My early podcasts, I today is so funny. I'm thinking, I really need to get back to that world. When my dad was ill at a space of time, music was always, as you understand, that vibe, that feeling that you have in any type of performing or any type of arts, whether it's the graphic arts or singing, it does something to you internally, intrinsically. And then, you know, when you have your lows, that's what you or me or whoever gravitate towards. So I'm like, I gotta get back into singing. I gotta do something, maybe at the 92nd Street Y, something, I gotta get into an ensemble. Now I understand why I'm so connected to you because of the arty aspect, the singing, absolutely, which I didn't know. And that sort of jumped you to going from like a small school, as you were saying. I too went to a small school and then I went to University of Maryland, College Park. So I went to a small school, big school. So I get that, that you were ready for the big time because you had that nurturing experience at a small school. It's funny, my son went to Indiana University can't say much about that. <laughs> That's another story at another time. He's at 
Delaware, very happy. And we'll just leave it at that. But Purdue, it's funny. I'm like, oh, here we go. Indiana. <laughs> I transferred there. So I'm not like diehard football okay, fan, but no yes, problem. that exists. It's all right. My daughter was wearing an Indiana sweatshirt. I'm like, get that off right now because we're going to Delaware. We're at Delaware. Anyway, whatever. But I love that whole evolving thing as you defined yourself in your journey and working in radio and seeing stories come in. And now, yes, you've landed where you're supposed to be, Rena. I'm telling you that because you've had all these experiences that gave you this experience and momentum to land and be who you are. You know, not everyone has that journey, but you clearly do. And, and back to Jerry Springer, it's so funny because what I was saying earlier when we were chatting for a moment, okay, Jerry Springer's show came to my world because when my daughter was born, I had the Trinidad nannies of the world helping me because I had not the best of deliveries and I had stuff going on and I needed support. And a friend of mine was like, oh, you know, use, you know, this agency, there's great women that can help you. But whatever it was, Trinidad nurses, I'm really being PC here, all were watching Jerry Springer. So I, yes. I literally be in my apartment, I don't know, doing something. My daughter was a baby and I would be hearing all kinds of shit going on people wrestling on top. I was like, what are you watching? And this community of Trinidad nurses all watch the Jerry Springer show. They're like, you don't know. I'm like, not really, because I wasn't really tuning into that before I was staying home and I was now having an infant. And I got hooked on watching it. And that was my first taste of reality television. It was crazy. That was like, how old is that, Alexandra? July 98, 1998, something like that. I was watching that a little bit. So back to you, back to that flyer. Were you familiar with Jerry Springer? Or oh, yeah, that's the thing. I was from Kentucky. Actually, somebody who worked at my dad's factory was a guest on one of my shows <laughs> later. I mean, it was not far-fetched from my upbringing. <laughs> that's why I think I was so good at it is because... I just wanted to know how long it was going on for. I really wasn't judgmental towards what they were telling me. <laughs> so, oh my God, this is an amazing chat. So wait a minute. So what did you, so you were an intern when you started or what were you doing? I started off as an intern and I worked my way up to producer in one season and it was my first job out of college. So I didn't even really fully realize like what an incredible opportunity it was. I mean, I did, but I didn't, you know, what's so funny now is, I've been going back through like photo albums. I mean, that was the time when you actually made those. I have like fan mail. I have first emails of like messages that past guests have sent me. I tried to actually look up some of those guests, but of course the majority of those numbers have disconnected, but I did reconnect with a couple past guests recently. One was like, how the hell did you find me? I'm like, you wrote me a letter like 20 years ago and you put your address and phone number in it. And I was able to track you down on Google. I was I like, how's Anna? You know? That is crazy. That is crazy because we kept things physically and it wasn't yes. just on your computer or on your phone. And we actually took pictures and put them in places. I know it's crazy. It's just, yeah, I was yeah. already kind of a documentarian. 
like I kept my business cards, the t-shirt, the extra footage from some of the shoots, pictures of me and the guests in Jamaica. I'm like, I'm never going to do this again, right? Like it was such a time in my life. I was single. I was in my 20s. I was getting to fly first class to Jamaica. I'm like, I know this is a once in a lifetime. Like I felt that, you know? And so I wanted to remember as many details from it as I could. I love it. So when you landed in that position as producer, give us a little bit of what you were doing, obviously producing the show. I want to hear about the guests and how you got the guests. And I love what you were just saying coming from Kentucky. I'm not bashing Kentucky. I like Kentucky. I've never been to Kentucky. The type of guests that were coming on that show, they wanted them to be a little bit edgy. Yes. Or weird. Yeah. You know, like that's the thing too. One of the earliest mistakes that I made was trying to change people into something that they weren't. So like if I had a guest that was just going after the crowd and was rowdy and taking their clothes off, then the next guest, I'm like, I want them to be like that. But the thing is, is that there's beautifulness in everybody's way in which they tell their story. And I had to learn that. So when you're first starting out, you try to notice patterns of like what makes the crowd go wild and a lot of times those over-the-top guests that are willing to just not take shit from anyone you want to replicate that because the crowd loves that but if you get somebody that comes on the show and they're like I'm sleeping with my brother they're they don't even have to go after the crowd like that's so shocking them just saying that with a straight face is enough And you want them to just be able to tell that in their own way and get them to give details about that. And that is enough. Like, they don't even have to yell and scream. The fact that they're willing to admit to that and make out with them or they share a parent and you have the parent that's going to confirm that, trust me, that's all you need. (laughs) Like, the crowd will be into that. And I remember watching. So let's talk about Jerry for a minute. I know he had a very different background before getting into reality television, if you just want to talk on that for a sec. Right. Jerry started off and he was a newscaster. He was an Emmy-winning newscaster. He was the mayor of Cincinnati. He had a love for politics. I think when he first started, he really was aiming to be a replacement for Donahue. He was taking more of a serious tone. However the ratings were in the toilet. And so they brought in an executive producer with more of a scandalous background. He wrote for the tabloids and he started really pushing the envelope of the kinds of stories that Jerry covered. And once they started doing that, the ratings started really going through the roof. And at one point he was beating out Oprah and then they really realized that they were onto something. So it was like once they started the fighting and once they started these crazy stories, it was really the beginning of that. Even talking about things that now you probably can't even talk about. It was the beginning of reality TV. Oh, absolutely. That's what I was saying. Absolutely. And and at the time when we were watching, as I was a viewer, you didn't even realize the momentum of this insanity of what you're really seeing, because reality television was not even reality television. And I'm just thinking like, as I'm trying to speak and slow myself down here a little bit, about social media. Imagine social media now. Would Jerry Springer be Jerry Springer show today? 
That's funny that you asked that because when I told my kids, and I have a 15-year-old, that I was going to interview Jerry Springer, he was like, how many TikTok followers does he have? How many YouTube followers does he have, right? Like, unless you have a million subscribers on YouTube, like, my kid doesn't think you're cool or that you're an influencer. I'm like, dude, he's a legend. Like, (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, you interviewed him. I see, like, what is it? March 7th, 22. Yeah. And incredible. I mean, but yet... For my kids too, my my son's twenty, my daughter's twenty five. They have no idea who who the hell I'm even talking about. It's like, but yeah. yet he was this is an icon to what has now evolved into all these other reality shows. But again, if he were to air today, would he be w- what it was? Would he have the same popularity? Okay. To be honest, I worked there right when the internet was even starting to happen. I mean, I was there pre-cell phone, pre-internet leads. We were getting all of our leads from people calling 1-800-96-JERRY. It was a completely different time. We were getting 1,500 calls a week and we were having to go through those calls and weed out who was telling the truth and who was bullshit. That's crazy. That's insane. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. And try to explain that to your (laughs) 15-year-old. Like, what? Like they don't even, they don't even get it. But I, I mean, th- we were having people fax us their IDs <laughs> and their marriage certificates. And I'm like, I can't make it out. I got to be able to see the names. You got to go to another Walgreens, call me from there. I mean, it was so dated and how we were operating. It's crazy. We were, yeah. <laughs> it, but, but there's some charm to that. Yeah. There's something beautiful about that because I think where we are right now and look where we are right now. 20 years from now, 30 years from now, people will be like, oh my God, I can't believe they, whatever we're doing, because that's how technology changes so quickly. It's changing as we sit here, as we speak, it's rapid speeds. So it's just really, you know, decades of people reflecting back or looking back to what came before us. And that's why I say many of the shows and things that are out that like, for an example, friends, would friends be friends? No, of course not. But at the time, what else did we have going on? We had nothing that was really competing. We didn't have a billion channels. We didn't have streaming. So it's really relevant upon the time frame. A hundred percent. And I just want to say too, like, look at what we can create from pictures, from graphics, from AI, from flashing back to this content from the past. Like, Kids want to see what was shot on a mini DV cam. They want to see what stickers and contests and merch look like from the 80s. I mean, I don't know if you've seen this new documentary on Netflix. It's something about Pepsi and like the Cindy Crawford generation of her drinking the Pepsi or Magic Johnson drinking the Pepsi and what those marketing campaigns looked like back in the day. And yes, my kids are making fun of that. My kids are trying to emulate that. You know, the eighties are back baby, you know, (laughs) but like we live that. I know. Oh my God. It's crazy. So, okay. So you had obviously this incredible career there producing. You left. Why'd you leave? Where'd you go? I know you did a lot of stuff with poor TV and stuff like that. Do you want to just give us the next part of the journey? The quick and dirty. Yeah. So after hearing that day in and day out, you kind of are like, do people have normal relationships? I definitely was starting to get burnt out from it. And I, to be honest, never even thought it was going to last as long as it did. So I felt like 
I produced enough shows to get into the Producers Guild, and I was kind of ready for working on other content. And so I moved to L.A., and there were plenty of shows starting up there. It was really, like I said, the beginning of reality TV. So I worked on different pilots. I worked for VH1 and E! and Nanny 911 for three seasons. And I really bounced around. And, you know, you were lucky if a show got picked up for three seasons. So Nanny was three seasons. I worked on a VH1 show for a couple seasons. I... I just, I worked in so many different capacities from script supervisor to assistant editor to post-production supervisor to executive assistant to production coordinator. I tried a bunch of different roles and a bunch of different shows and I made some really great contacts and I kind of followed the people around who I liked working with. And you learn what you're good at, what you're not good at, what you want to spend your time doing, what you don't want to spend your time doing. And I did that for a little over three years. And then my third season on Nanny 911, I met my husband online because how else are you going to meet someone when you're working around the clock? (laughs) I love that. Okay. Let's hear the story. I met him on J-Date and (laughs) we got married eight months later and I left LA. I thought that I had gotten it out of my system and I had gotten my name in the credits as many times as, you know, would feel good. And I was 26 And I was kind of ready for that next chapter. But are you ever really ready for that next chapter, right? So I wanted to make my parents proud. I got married. I had three kids, fell in love, did that chapter. Then I joined corporate America for a bit because my husband was a corporate America type. And he played that game. He still plays that game really well. And that's actually part of why we moved around so much. He got his first job in Silicon Valley. He was in a PhD program at Berkeley when I met him. We were honestly such opposites, which was great. Like he could care less about Hollywood. And I was not like the hyper intellectual type, but he introduced me to that. And I moved to the Bay Area. And when my kids were small and able to stay with a babysitter for about four hours a day, I started inching my way back into wanting to work. And so I had kept up with some of my Hollywood contacts. And one thing that I could do while they were at a babysitter was do court TV research. And so I would go to these courthouses. I ended up doing this in three different states. (laughs) We had moved back to my hometown at the time and they needed a researcher there. And so I made friends with courthouses in Indiana and Kentucky and all different parts of Kentucky. And I worked at six courthouses where I would comb through the small claims cases and find the best stories and then scan them with a wand and send them back to LA. And that kept my foot in the door where I went from working on the court TV show to helping with divorce court and America's Got Talent and keeping my foot in the door with casting. And then that led to me working on a couple documentaries. I worked on a Ron Jeremy documentary, which is so crazy. But even when I was pregnant with my first kid, I had a contact from the Bay Area and she was doing a documentary inside the Soledad prison. And she asked me if I would essentially be like a transcriber slash script supervisor. And so my husband was like, um, I hope that footage that you're listening to is not going to affect the baby in your utero. Like I was listening to and transcribing murderers, <laughs> but I loved it because it was interesting. And again, I still felt like I was in production, even though I could do it from home. And all of these skills build on each other, where if you have these relationships and you're working the muscle of being able to communicate with Hollywood, then opportunities come your way. Amazing. Okay, we'll we'll hold the prison thing for a second. Going back to getting stories, and I'm going to go back to the beginning of our chat, like 
you're a story chaser. You love a good story of some sort. Where's that come from? I don't know. I think that, and even in doing my podcast, it's about finding people who have been through things, overcome things, figured out something I haven't figured out and getting wisdom from their experiences. And what I really love about finding those stories and getting people to tell them to me is that I control the narrative. I control the edit. I control the questions that are asked. And when you work for a network, they control the edit. Sometimes the edit is completely fabricated. And I really like to connect with people on a human level, on a real level, on a level where you can learn something from someone. I think that I do my podcast for that. It's almost like my therapy. Absolutely. When you sit and you listen to so many different people, and I want to talk about other celebs that have come your way, Eliza Ben Shalom. She stands out because I, of course, watched her on Netflix. How do you get people to come on? Well, clearly you have a background. You have people know who you are. So when you send out, unlike maybe me, <laughs> an inquiry, you have a little bit, you have a lot of a bit reputation where someone would be like, oh, okay, she's done, blah, 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 blah. Let me go talk to her. So I'm just, I'm shooting for Aliza because I was kind of fascinated with her story. If you want to talk about her for a minute, how you got her to come on or she wanted to come on or. Well, with Aliza in particular, she was wearing a fashion brand and I knew the creator of that fashion brand. When I saw the show, I was like, oh, she's wearing the fashion brand. It's called Mika Fashion. And I knew the person who had designed the clothes that she was wearing. So I reached out to Mary Grunhouse, who was on my podcast. And I was like, oh, wow, she's wearing your fashion line. How did you get her to do that? And they had known each other for a long time. And she wanted to wear clothing that was meaningful because everything that she does is done in a meaningful way. And I loved that. So I felt like that wasn't really an angle that was covered, I, you know, and even the necklace that she wears in the series was, you know, a very personalized piece of jewelry. And it was interesting too, because one of the guests in the show had a necklace that was a special piece of jewelry to them. And they even reflected on that in the episode. So if you pick up on like special mm. things like that, that's a unique way to reach out. Also, like you said, though, you know, once you have a certain amount of downloads or once you've had a certain amount of celebrities, a lot of times people will lead with that in reaching out to people. So they'll be like, oh, I had James Altucher or Evan Carmichael or Elisa Ben Shalom or these people that have big followings. Unfortunately, sometimes you do have to name drop like that in order to get other celebrities. But you could just share their content, make meaningful comments and yeah. see who you might possibly know in common. So I knew other podcasters who also had interviewed. And I said, would it be possible for you to make that introduction? No pressure. And people did that to me too. And look, there's, if you put out a professional podcast and you're going to make clips and you're going to market it well, and I like what you're doing, I'm more likely to make an intro, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, that's an interesting, I love that story. And and she definitely seems to be that person because she has a cool background, obviously how she got into the world, what she does and religious now, but was not always in her life, which I find or found cool and interesting to talk about that. And getting back to you, 
with wanting to get the core of realness to people's story and give that genuinity. And that's really what we were talking about in the beginning, because I definitely feel, and I know everybody else feels it too, Rena, that you exude that. And even back to Jerry Springer moments and stuff like that, even though these people were insanely crazy, <laughs> you wanted to hear their story. And, you know, I, I kind of see that, that line in everything that you've said from the beginning of what you were talking about, even as a child and things that you've gotten into that you wanted to give the realness of stories. And I think often sometimes people don't really do that. I try to do that with what I do to get to the core of, you know, of mental health. And that's obviously, we'll talk a little bit about that now on people's trajectories, journeys, stories evolving, you know, all of a sudden uh, an interview can go completely south or north in different directions. If you want to talk about that, when you talk to some of your people. Yeah. So in wanting to get real with people and in wanting to connect with people, not all hosts want to go deep. Right. Sometimes you get on with somebody and they're like, so tell me your story. Or so yeah. tell me why you responded to me posting for a guest. And you're like, uh, right. Exactly. Or you have to be ready, like with your story baked as a guest to like take over if somebody is not going to give you any back and forth. And if somebody just wants to have a surface conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're in a, you're in an interview, you have all these different types of celebs, all kind of interesting people coming on. This conversation goes flat. What do you do? Give some advice. You have to switch it in a different direction, maybe, you know, get off of what you were just talking about and try to steer it in another direction. So maybe like have something that you normally answer kind of ready to go. <laughs> if what you're talking about is falling flat. I mean, I, I've been on an interview where they were talking about Israel in a way that I didn't agree with. And so I had to steer the direction back to my story and why we connected and talk about podcasting or something that's going to bring a bond back between the two of you, right? Like, let's not talk yeah. about something that's like a completely off subject tangent that really doesn't have much to do with why we connected in the first place. And that's hard. That's really it can be. It was a little awkward, but then I think about too, like a lot of podcasters are just starting out. How many people are actually going to listen to it? Did I say anything that was oh. offensive? Right? Like, yeah, no. And I think that's being kind to yourself. Like, I think that's <laughs> really <laughs> because, and I also believe it's being a quick thinker, really being on your feet. Where does that come from for you? It's about practice. And even with me getting back into radio, like I'm doing a radio show three hours a week now and re-airing Best of Better Call Daddy episodes on cool.fm. And let me tell you, I don't hit my brakes always on the first try. And if you also saw how many times it took me to be happy with an intro, when you're first starting out, you're so much more relaxed and, and you're figuring out what works and doesn't work. But then once you're like 300 episodes in, you want it to sound conversational. You want it to sound professional. You get into that perfectionism yes. all over again. And yes. so you have to realize, and I even tell myself this, I'm like doing the reps, doing the reps, doing the reps. I repeat that to myself every mess up. So it doesn't feel like I'm screwing up. It feels like I'm honing the craft. 
I love that. I got to keep that in mind, Raina, because I believe yeah. you're the hardest on yourself. Yes, you're the definitely. But being on your toes, for me, it's the teacher mode. I taught thousands of students. I taught international grad school. And it's always, I'm 500 feet ahead, whatever the conversation is, because I'm in the conversation, but my brain is ahead. I have felt like that at times, but more recently, I am trying to be present because if you're always thinking ahead, then you're going to miss magical follow-up questions. A lot of times, if you just do little things like, oh, wow, tell me more about that, or that's yes. so interesting. And then you give your guests space to yeah. keep going. Sometimes you're so 10K ahead that you're missing an opportunity for them to elaborate. Okay. For me, is that to keep the conversation afloat, to be able to skew the conversation in a different way. You talked about talking to people that want to get into podcasting. Some people should just not go into podcasting. Some people should not be an astronaut because they don't like heights. You know, I mean, it's just not for them. I actually agree with that. And I think if you want to go into podcasting, then you have to realize what makes a good host is actually putting some effort into doing some research beforehand. And if you want to interview your best friend from college and you want to interview somebody that you worked with at a past job, all of that is great. And you probably don't need as much research, but you should look at their social media. You should look at the language that they use when they post. You should look at, have they been on another podcast before? And if they have been on a podcast, listen to one or two of them. So you know what they like talking about and Back to, you know, what happens if there's a pause or a lull or a down moment, you need to have like three or four bullet points just written in a notebook next to you. I'm constantly having a notebook next to me, like things that you said at the beginning of the conversation, like, you know, yes. you thought about music and your dad. Exactly. I just saw your notebook. You thought yeah. about getting back into an ensemble. You've taught thousands of grad students. So by you sharing those things with me, I now noted that and want to know more about that for when I interview you. So it's taking a genuine interest. Absolutely. Yeah. In the people you're talking to. Yes. Yes. Not everybody has that. Not everybody has that. And what I wanted to get to the next part of this is, again, all the different people and so forth and celebs that you've interviewed. Is there something specific in someone's interview that stood out that you were like, yeah. Oh, I mean, that happens all the time. <laughs> really with every interview that I do, but. But maybe, okay, let me rephrase. In an interview that you had where maybe it was a little bit more controversial, you said that there was a conversation one time when they were talking about Israel, that you skirted it to a different direction because maybe you didn't feel the most comfortable in further discussion. I always reflect back to go like, well, you know, could I have added this or should if I said this, would it have gone this way or that way? Maybe that's what I'm trying to point out a little bit. Yes, yeah, sometimes with celebrities, you only have like 20 or 25 minutes. So you really need to hit the questions that are always asked, but ask, ask it in your own way. I try to also, like when I interviewed Jerry, I tried to bring up specifics of, you know, what was it like for you in the office? Exactly. Because I was also in that office. So I tried to bring him back to the time that we shared together. 
Now, if I don't have that with a celebrity, like with Aliza Ben Shalom, I knew that she hadn't talked about her fashion line. And what we shared was that I had interviewed the person who designed the clothing that she wore. So I tried to do that with the host of How to Build a Sex Room. I had never honestly talked about that subject with my dad, like the birds and the bees. So was my dad open to butt plugs and kinky cages? Not necessarily. Again, that was a generational difference, but it was kind of funny to bring that up and then have my dad say, you know, I'm more into walks on the beach. I love that. I love that. <laughs> I love that. All right. Let's let for the last moments of time, let's talk about mental health. How would you describe if you, if I said the word mental health, what first comes to your mind? I've definitely struggled with it. And I think that a common thread in my podcast has definitely involved mental health with the good majority of all of my guests. I think that that has been a common thread. It's something through this pandemic that we have all struggled with. When I think about mental health struggles the most, honestly, it's been around having miscarriages, it's been around trying to juggle being a mom and having a career. It's pressure from family to do things at certain times or do things religiously or how religious do I want to be? So there's been a lot of reflecting around those things. You know, I had my last baby seven weeks early. I was 39 years old. I had had two previous miscarriages. So you know, my three older kids were all sleeping through the night and all very independent. And then at 39, I had an emergency C-section, a baby seven weeks early and career momentum happening. So that was, I feel like a big struggle for me. Thank you so much for sharing that. I've spoken to a lot of women empowerment collaborations and I'm thinking right now, God, I'd love to have you on the next one talking about exactly what we're talking in this space because powerful women. You're a powerful woman, Rena. You, you, you definitely own your brand, you own your voice. And what people's perception of you or how they see you is not necessarily obviously your day to day, you know, so thank you for sharing that. Definitely. Yeah, I think with mental health, that the pandemic showed us a lot of different spaces of where people are not the most comfortable, we're trying to balance, we're trying to get back to what they truly want for themselves and what society thinks that they should be doing at a certain time and place. For women specifically, it's very difficult to balance and to juggle. I know when I was trying to juggle my own beginning of my career and having children and kind of doing it all, and I've spoken to many women in this area, so I, I would love to have that for you to talk about that. What do you do to, shall we say, to make yourself happy? I mean, we're talking about mental health. Do you take time for yourself? Do you take walks? Do you, do you sing? Let's talk about singing. I okay. need to sing more, not on the show, but okay. I gonna, love yeah. I love music. And yeah. I think actually getting back into announcing music and hearing new artists and collaborating with other people in that industry has been really great for me. Yes, we're going to sing at the end, but I'm not going to sing. I'm going to think of something. You know, what's so funny. So my dad for like three years was begging me to come up with a theme song. So I worked with a writer and wrote a theme song for Better Call Daddy. But I had another musician voice it. And I was originally going to go back into the studio and 
fill in. Like I wanted my voice to do the song, but I was happy with, you know, I, I paid a professional musician to do it. But I think for next season, I'm going to get back into the studio and I'm going to take out his voice track and put mine in. I love it. If you want to back up. I'm, I'm that could be fun. <laughs> um, what type of music do you enjoy singing the most and what were you trained in? So I was trained classically. I was a mezzo-soprano, but I sang alto. I love choral music. And I think it goes back to just loving to collaborate with other people. When I went to that youth performing arts school, I really just wanted to blend. There is such power in blending with the voices around you and then turning into like one voice. It's amazing when the whole section comes together and makes this powerful sound. And then you can hear the other sections sounding in unison as well. I love choral music. I mean, we sang in Carnegie Hall twice. It was so resounding. And I'm actually jealous that you got to go to Juilliard. One of my friends just got her daughter in. I'm like, which one of my kids is it not too late for? Like, I feel like I've failed as a mom that I haven't gotten my kids into music. They've just had other interests. Of course, of course. Where'd your music come from? Who sang in your family? Did your dad sing? Yeah. I'm feeling, did. I don't know. Uh, why. I'm looking at his picture. I'm like, he look. he's a New Yorker. He sang. What did he do? What did he say? Yeah, he was in choir too. Love it. Do you guys ever sing together? That would be hysterical, but no. <laughs> you, should. you should do some singing. All right. Give me a, give me a song that you like. I mean, I, it's funny that you said you were listening to Beyonce before this. She was just in Houston over the weekend. I loved Destiny's Child. I loved Beyonce. I think she is the ultimate performer. Life changing concert. Okay. I was the millionth person. I could barely see the stage. I was a dot <laughs> and she like brought me out of my chair. I mean, it was just so I've loved her forever. Which Queen Bee song do you enjoy the most? I love all the single ladies, all the single ladies. That just reminds me of like that awesome time of my life in LA. Yes. Yeah, I think yes. about that. And even in speeches that I've wanted to deliver, I would definitely want her as like my walk-up music, right? Like that would get the crowd going if you walked up to that. Oh my God. We're going to sing together, Rena. We're definitely going to sing. My last moments of with you. Give me a heart to heart. A heart to heart is the enamoring moments. There've been so many. You've had the coolest career. It's just mind blowing that you've done so much. And you're only, can I say your age? Sure. 44. You're a baby. Coming into 44. Yep. 43. <laughs> Own it, girlfriend. Own the age. I'm owning it. I said that to you. Own it. Be happy. That's all. Just be happy you're here. You're speaking to me and we're having this incredible conversation. But back to the heart to heart. Give me a time in your life where there's been many, but anything specific, it could have been with your kids. It could have been five minutes ago that something has enamored you or touched your heart in a way that you felt beautiful. Yeah, I have to say the first thing that comes to mind is truthfully when I was granted the opportunity to interview Jerry 20 years later, because I always wanted to know what his experience was and did he realize how hard it was to get those people on stage. And I worked there during my formative years and it was one of the best experiences of my life. And to be able to get that closure with him and for him to get what I was doing with my dad and him kind of validate what I was doing 
that felt like such a beautiful closure. And it really felt like one of those heart moments that you're talking about. He was like, I'll remember you when you're famous. He said that to me and that felt like a blessing. Oh my God, that is beautiful. And you know what comes to mind right now, Rena, for me, you have validated yourself. I know you, in the very beginning of this conversation, you said that you wanted your dad to come on because you needed to have the support. And then you spoke to Jerry and he gave you that validation. But I know you're owning it, girl. You're good. You're owning it. You're, you're amazing. And your brand is incredible. And I think that the stars are aligned for you. It's really big stuff. And I'll be there cheering you on. Absolutely. Thank you. You are a very kind host. And thank you so much for being so well-prepared. And you're, you're amazing. I love what you're doing, too. And I'm glad that Zayn brought us together. Thank you, Zane. A shout out to our friend Zane. We love you. And we're going to, can we sing it out? Anything to sing? Better call daddy. He'll be by your side. Better call daddy's the apple of your eye. He sees possibility. I love it. Rena, you're rocking it. You're going to come back and say hi to me. I'm coming onto your podcast whenever you want me. Thank you guys for checking out this episode and I'll see you when I see you. Bye-bye. Please check out my episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and weekly Instagram lives where I am honored with talented, exceptional guests. Can't wait to see you all there.